0: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
1: Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: The following episode contains dramatizations of emotional abuse, suicidal ideation, and one instance of suicide that some people might find offensive. We advise caution for listeners under 13. Something to note... All myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into ancient Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. The old man lived on the very edge of the town, in a modest house facing due east. They called him Tiresias, and he was said to be the wisest man in the world. Some even claimed he could see the future. And that claim was enough for his latest visitor. She was a young woman, clutching her infant son tightly under her shawl, Like many first-time parents, she was unsure of herself and strongly desired to know her child's future. She found Tiresias sitting by his fireplace that night, waiting patiently with his hands folded in his lap, almost as if he knew she was coming. When he looked at her, a chill ran down her spine. His eyes were milky white and sightless as if someone had placed two marbles in his skull instead of eyeballs.
1: T-Tiresias? If you would permit me, I have need of your wisdom. My name is-
3: I know your name. Did you bring the child with you? Yes. Ah, there he is. Yes, Narcissus. I can see him. He will be more beautiful than any man in the world. Truly? I do not exaggerate.
1: Will he live a long and healthy life?
3: Your child will grow old, if he does not get to know himself.
2: Without another word, Tiresias handed the child over to her and turned back to his fire. The woman stood in the center of the room, waiting for more. Tiresias did not elaborate. A few minutes passed before the woman realized he would say no more, and she would have no answer. Until her dying day, she never understood what Tiresias meant. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins, I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today we're telling part one of the story of Narcissus, the hunter who was so strikingly handsome, he earned the ire of the gods. Our version of the story draws from Ovid's Metamorphoses and the writings of Greek mythographer Canone. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to Parcast.com merch for more information. The myth of Narcissus is a simple one but with many variations. In some, he's the child of the river god Cephisis and the nymph Liriope, and in others, he's merely a mortal man gifted with singular beauty and an ego to match. The self-obsession Narcissus exhibits in this story is so iconic that a personality disorder is named after him, narcissistic personality disorder, or just narcissism. The first appearance of the term in English dates back to an 1822 letter by poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge in which he confessed to suffering from narcissism. Almost a century later, Sigmund Freud popularized its use in his 1914 paper entitled On Narcissism, An Introduction. It was later introduced into the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM, in 1968 and remains there to this day. Narcissism is not only a clinical term, but a popular term as well. With the rise of social media and selfie culture, many theorists, both professional and amateur, have written on how social media acts as an enabler to narcissistic tendencies. But the original story of Narcissus takes place in Thespiae, a small city in the Boeotian region of Greece, near the great city of Thebes. While much of this story concerns their worship of Artemis, Another god prominently worshipped in this city was Eros, the god of infatuation and desire. Perhaps this patronage was what inspired Canon and Ovid to set this tale of broken hearts in this particular city. The sky above Thespiae turned a rosy shade of pink in anticipation of the sun's rising. While many of its citizens were early risers, none woke as early as the hunters these strapping men gathered on the edge of town to set off on their morning hunt. First to arrive was Narcissus, now at the peak of early adulthood. As Tiresias promised all those years ago, he was a paragon of physical beauty, his glistening golden hair flowing over well-muscled shoulders. If it weren't blasphemy, one could say he was almost Olympian in appearance. He stretched as the others joined him one by one, pretending not to notice them staring as he lifted his sculpted arms over his head.
1: It is going to be hot as Hades today. Are you afraid of Helios now, Croesus? If he saps the strength I need for the hunt, then yes. Worry not. There is only one god we need on our side Artemis? Me. <laughs> I cannot help it if I regularly catch the most game of any man here. Are you finished showing off yet, Narcissus? I only speak the truth, Nestor.
3: He always has a retort. Are we due to leave then? We await one more.
1: There you are. Glad you could make it, um, uh, Ambrosius? Aminius. Hello. This young man expressed interest in learning from me today, and who am I to deny sharing my gifts with another?
3: If he can use a bow, fine with me.
1: Shall we go?
2: The group of hunters set off into the woods, Narcissus leading the way. Close behind him was Ameneas, eyes trained on the more experienced hunter's back. He had not joined them for the hunting alone. When he first arrived in Thespii, he overheard Narcissus boasting in the market about a particularly successful hunt. Narcissus had been surrounded by an adoring crowd, retelling the tale as if he was on the stage at Thebes, his rich baritone carrying over the crowd like a trained orator. The story was thrilling, but it was the man who captured Ameneas' attention— He was so self-assured and so aware of his own magnetism. Ameneas was utterly entranced by this Boeotian hunter. It took all of his courage to approach Narcissus after the story was completed. As he walked toward the hunter, his stomach turned over like a hibernating bear. Somehow, Ameneas forced his halting voice to request to join the hunt. When Narcissus's eyes met his... Amenius felt the heaviness in his stomach evaporate into a swirl of tickling butterflies. In that moment, he forgot why he had originally traveled to Thespiae. All he knew was that he wanted Narcissus more than he'd ever desired. When they had ventured deep into the woods, the hunters separated. Amenius's heart sank as he watched Narcissus disappear into the trees but he could not protest aloud. He would not let his ardor show, not when he had only just met the man. After wandering through the woods, barely focusing on where he was going, Ameneas found, only a few yards away from him, a beautiful doe standing in a clearing. Not daring to take a breath, he drew an arrow and knocked it. Ameneas pulled back the bowstring, but he could not bring himself to release it.
1: What are you doing, Ameneus? Shoot it! It's just so beautiful. I cannot... Narcissus! First rule of hunting, young man. Nothing is so beautiful you cannot shoot it. You owe me an arrow. What brings you two back with such haste? We were following the tracks of a deer. I see you have caught nothing.
3: It is early yet. Oh my gods! I believe this is the deer we followed. Once again, you've outdone us, Narcissus. How did you get close enough to shoot her?
1: But I- I was no great feat. She took one look at me and pledged eternal love. And like winged Eros, I shot her straight through the heart.
4: <sighs>
1: is that it for the day then? No, I've only just begun.
2: Narcissus, wait!
1: <sighs> well, someone has to
3: take his dough back. Amenius, can you help me with the legs?
2: Begrudgingly, Ameneas helped carry the doe back to Thespii. As he walked on the roads towards town, he could not help but wish he was back in the forest. He wanted more than anything to show Narcissus he had what it takes to be a hunter, or at least be by his side.
3: Don't get your hopes up. What was that? I'm glad we have this moment alone. You should know, Narcissus is dangerous game. (laughs) What do you mean? I know you did not join us because you wanted to hunt. Look, Ameneas, there are entire rivers in Thespiae made of tears shed for that man's heart. You'd do best not to flood them.
4: Are you saying he is too good for me? Who am
3: I to say who is too good for whom? I am no great judge of character. Regardless of the question of worth, he will break your heart. There is no man, woman, or even God he could ever love more than himself.
4: So I should just ignore him?
3: The heart wants what the heart wants, but sometimes what it wants is not in your best interest. If Eros shot me through the heart and made me fall for a lion, I hope a friend would be there to take me away from its
1: claws.
2: Nestor gave Ameneas a comforting pat on the back as they reached the butcher. The evening after that first hunt, Ameneas tried his best to take his companion's advice to heart. Perhaps such a fickle man was not worth the effort to woo. But Ameneas could not stifle the warm feeling in his gut from thinking about Narcissus. It was only a few hours' wait, but he longed for the man to return. Ameneas knew that no matter what he told himself, no matter what anyone told him, Narcissus would determine his destiny. When we return, Ameneas takes a leap of faith.
0: Life
1: is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: Now, back to the story. The sun was high in the sky by the time Narcissus returned from his hunt, and it was stiflingly hot. He went straight home and stripped off his sweat-soaked tunic. He breathed a sigh of relief, glad to be free of the suffocating fabric. (laughs) Narcissus turned and saw a group of women clustered by his window. As he glanced at them, they scattered like leaves. Only one woman remained behind, her eyes turned down. A blush formed on her cheeks. Narcissus strode forward, making no effort to cover his nudity.
1: Why do you still stand there?
2: The woman tried to speak, stammering over her words, but Narcissus knew what she had come for. Leave. Narcissus turned and went back to cleaning the sweat from himself, giving no indication that he cared if the woman was watching him. A moment passed and the woman left his window, stifling tears as she went. Amenius watched this all from afar. He didn't dare get any closer or join in the conspiratorial giggling. A distant glimpse was enough to sate him. It was like staring at the gods themselves. As he lay down to sleep that night, the image of Narcissus, naked in the window, hovered in Amenius' mind. In his fantasy, Narcissus looked up as the weeping maiden departed, and his gaze fell on Ameneas' hiding place, as if Narcissus knew he was watching. And in Narcissus's eyes, Ameneas saw desire, amusement, pleasure. Even in his own fantasy, Ameneas had a hard time imagining Narcissus wearing any expression other than smug self-assurance. Even so, it was a look he wore well, and it did not spoil Ameneas' dream. Ameneas let the mirage swim in his mind's eye for hours before finally drifting off to sleep. The next day, Ameneus joined the men for another hunt. This time, Narcissus and Ameneus brought down a massive boar. It was wounded on one flank, but alive— a fitting sacrifice to the goddess of the hunt. Unlike the other gods, Artemis refused sacrifices of dead or domestic animals. She would only accept live game. It was the most thrilling hunt Ameneas had been on yet, but not because of their great prize. The moment Ameneas cherished was so brief, none of the others even noticed it happen. While wrangling the massive beast back into the town, his arm had brushed Narcissus' skin and sent a chill down his spine.
1: Hold it still, will you, Ameneas? Apologies, Narcissus. Daydreaming while I do all the work. You don't want to be responsible for ruining Artemis' feast, do you? Of course not. Now, how does it look? Beautiful. Relax, Ameneas. It's a boar, not Aphrodite herself.
4: Ha <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I saw a crowd of women by your home yesterday. What of it? Is that a
1: frequent occurrence? Oh yes. No matter how many women I turn away, more arrive. It is exhausting being the most sought-after man in Thespiae. You turn them all down? So far. I do not think much of it. So, has someone stolen the heart of Narcissus? It is not that. None of the women have been... right. I think we're finished here. Let's bring this boar up to the temple.
2: The pair led the boar up the temple steps. Now cleaned and dressed with ribbons, the animal's protests grew weaker and weaker, almost as if it knew what fate awaited it at the temple altar. But Aminius barely noticed the boar, Narcissus's words ran through his mind, making less sense every time they did so. Did Narcissus not feel love at all, or was he so focused on being the best man he could be that love did not enter into his mind? And most of all, Ameneas wondered, how could someone so handsome be so dismissive of romance? He must have been crafted by the gods to torment men and women alike. But Ameneas' angst went unnoticed by Narcissus. As the blood from the boar soaked into the altar, Narcissus congratulated himself. The hunt was his great achievement, and the gods must notice him for it. While the fat and bones of the animal were tossed into the fire, Ameneas said a small prayer to Artemis. He prayed that his own hunt would be successful, A hunt not for wild animals, but for the heart of Narcissus. The rest of the boar made for a fine feast. All of Thespii gathered in the temple to eat, drink, and praise the gods. Everyone in the village had a chance to congratulate the successful hunters, but none soaked up the praise quite like Narcissus, who only stopped speaking to drink and listen to compliments. And while Ameneas drunk up the spectacle of Narcissus showing off, a tiny part of his heart burned every time Narcissus neglected to mention his part in capturing the boar. He thought he was turning out to be a natural hunter, but Narcissus refused to praise anyone but himself. Looking at the other hunters seated around the table, he could not tell whether they were similarly offended or whether they were used to this sort of behavior. Later that night, Ameneus found himself walking home with Narcissus, leaning on his shoulder as they walked unsteadily back toward Narcissus' home.
1: Can you believe I took down a boar all on my own? You had help. How few hunters can say they've captured such a great beast? A few. We've arrived. It really was a great
4: celebration tonight, wasn't it? If you require nothing else, I'll make my way homeward now.
1: So early. I thought you would head back to the temple for more mouthfuls of my delicious boar. The feast will be over.
4: But I would rather be here with you. I mean, who wouldn't?
1: What was that? You assault me!
4: I love you, Narcissus.
1: You have had too much wine.
4: No. My thoughts are clear. I have loved you ever since I first saw you. If I did not say it now, I fear I would have died from longing. If my lips had not touched yours,
1: I fear— What would you say if I told you I could not return your affections?
4: I would say that life would not be worth living. I do not love
1: you. We have known each other only a short while, but given time— I will never love you, Amanias. You can proposition me from dawn to dark until the sky falls down on the earth, and I will not return your affections. Of course you would
4: say that. You have such a high opinion of yourself. None but Aphrodite would be worthy of you. And even then, you'd only give in to her so that she would not curse you. I have not closed myself off to the possibility of love. But you scorn everyone. We get along well as friends and comrades. Why could we not be lovers?
1: It isn't right. I do not love you, and I will never love you. Then what shall I do? What's that sword for? Do you mean to duel me? Take it. If you are certain that life without my love is not worth living, then you have answered your own question.
2: When we return, Narcissus begins to see the damage wrought by his self-obsession. (sighs) Ah. Now back to the story. Narcissus was awake as the sky turned from black to blue to pink in the breaking dawn. He had awakened hours earlier than usual and was unable to fall back asleep. He stood up from his bed and crossed his room to the washbasin he kept by the window. He dipped his hands in the cool water and splashed his face. He could already tell that today was going to be even hotter than the day before. Perhaps the hottest of the year. Was that why he could not sleep? The heat? He slipped his tunic on over his shoulders, wincing in discomfort as the sweat began to rise on his skin. Hopefully, they'd catch something good before Helios reached the peak of his journey across the sky. When he reached his front door, something caught his eye. A shadow, hovering by the base of the doorframe. He sighed, probably another suitor trying to pledge themselves to him before a competitor could arrive. Or perhaps it was that Ameneas who had taken his rejection so poorly the night before. Was there anyone left in the village who had not propositioned him? With a sigh, he pushed open the door. It thudded, stuck partway.
1: Move, please, whoever you are. Hello?
2: Narcissus pushed the door harder, and finally it started to budge, sliding slowly as if a great weight was lying on the other side of it. A familiar smell hit him, and he wrinkled his nose. He'd hunted enough to know the smell of blood. He finally managed to force the door open. He stumbled onto his front steps, where he froze in horror. Lying in a pool of his own blood was Ameneas, Narcissus's sword buried in his heart. His eyes stared up vacantly, the shadow of a smile on his lips. Later that day, now lying on the table in his own former home, Ameneas looked almost at peace. The sword had been removed from his chest a coin placed into his mouth, and his empty eyes closed. Aminius's friends stood around the table, including his three hunting companions. Of them, Narcissus stood farthest away from the body, as if he felt neither guilt, nor compassion, nor grief.
3: Why would he have done this? Gods only know. Festival one day, funeral the next. What a fortnight. Did you see him last night, Narcissus? I did, yes. Well, we all did. I mean, after the festival.
1: Yes, we walked home, I went inside, and I did not see him alive again. The daylight is wasting, gentlemen. We should be hunting.
3: What does he think he's doing?
1: Let him go, Nestor. We all grieve differently.
3: True.
2: Narcissus wanted to be clear of that room as soon as possible. The sight of the dead man was disturbing. But even more unnerving was the attention it received from everyone in the room. The sobs and outpouring of emotion made Narcissus sick to his stomach. For once in his life, no one gave him so much as a second look. The other Boeotians watched him with concern. To them, his stoic silence indicated a deeper level of grief than any of them knew. And they pitied him, yet one person suspected otherwise. Narcissus, come back here!
1: We still have a job to do, Nestor. Grief can wait. It is
3: not grief that makes me follow you. It is curiosity. What did he
1: say to you last night? I'm Aeneas. Nothing of import. I do not believe you. He was in love with you. I... I suspected. And
3: what did you say to him last night?
1: I do not like what you're implying, Nestor. Just tell me the truth. (sighs) Ameneas said something in the manner of, life without my love would not be worth living.
3: By the gods. What would his grieving mother say if she knew her son killed himself over your rejection?
1: What of it? I cannot be responsible for the boy's actions. Whatever he feels, felt, is his responsibility and the gods, not mine. Better the boy know he had no chance than to labor under false hope. Cruelty is the only way to treat obsession. You do not really believe that. I do. You are
3: loving this. It's the ultimate form of flattery, is it not? The tears and the wailing you cause on a nigh-daily basis was troublesome. But this? That your beauty was so great it caused a man to slay himself on your doorstep? You think this is the greatest compliment you've ever received?
1: You cannot know what I feel, or how I feel. Is my beauty a sin to you? It is when it comes hand in
3: hand with arrogance.
1: Ugh, if only you knew how stressful it was to see people fall on their knees pledging themselves to you day in and day out. Maybe then you would understand me. Was the sword yours too? I did not kill the boy. Why speak to me as if I had? Because you did.
3: You had not the empathy to see how deeply he desired you. You need not have loved him, but you should have shown him some
1: compassion. I would rather everyone who loved me gouge their own hearts out than demand my pity. If the boy killed himself for me, he proved himself the weaker man.
3: I loved you once, Narcissus. I have no idea what it is I saw in you. Then you must
1: be blind.
2: With that... Narcissus turned and disappeared into the trees. Unrequited love is one of the most universally relatable themes in storytelling. The story of Narcissus and Ameneas is hardly the only Greek myth to explore it, but uniquely this story is the only one that depicts this relationship between two men. It may be tempting to think of Narcissus' rejection of Ammonius as one of incompatible sexuality, a straight man who could not return the affections of a gay man. However, in ancient Greece, sexual orientation was more fluid than in modern Western societies. The gap between these individuals was not one of incompatible sexuality, but rather personality. Narcissus was so in love with himself that he sees others as unworthy of his attention. He's a paragon of beauty without a shred of self-awareness, and it is this egomania that leads to his downfall in the end. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. Next Tuesday, we'll conclude the story of Narcissus and reveal how the gods chose to punish this vain man. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of Parcast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Mythology is written by Robert Teamstra. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Osteen, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, and Dan Velasquez. I'm Vanessa Richardson.